Thanks for joining us today on Uptime Logistics, powered by Cap Logistics. I'm your host, Doug Draper. I'm with the Denver Transportation Club and Acme Distribution. And today's guest is uh, Mark LeClure. We're really excited to have you, Mark. Thanks so much. Uh, Mark is the editor-in-chief of Oil & Gas Global Network, and he's also the founder of Modal Point. And uh, we're certainly excited to have you with us, Mark. Appreciate that. So, yeah, do anything I can do to help you all out. I mean, we're all one big family. I'm happy to do so. Yeah, great. I look forward to it. So, um, before we jump into the topic, we always like to learn a little bit about our guest, right? You have a pretty robust background and and, uh, and experience in what we're doing today. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got into the industry, maybe a little bit more about Modal Point, and, uh, and then we'll kind of start into our topic. So, let us uh, let us learn about you. Yeah. So, I'm going to tell your audience the real story. <laughs> nice. So, 25 years ago, I got started with the phone company at the East, which was called Bell South. And they basically gave me their oil and gas book of business because nobody wanted it. It had declining revenue every year. It was hard, a group of companies to sell to. So none of the other salespeople in the entire company wanted it. And since I was new, I didn't know better. So I took it. Right? And so that was my start. And it took me about five years to learn the industry. And once I learned the industry, I realized that it was it was different and more complex than any other industry vertical, which fit my personality very well. So we did really good work for the oil and gas companies. Um, my last corporate job was about 10 years ago. Um, I had their oil and gas key accounts, the most important accounts in the world to them. And they capped my commission. Mm. And it just aggravated me. Never do that with so, a salesperson. <laughs> why would you do that to a salesperson? It makes no sense. Um, so I started Modal Point out of anger. Uh, it was my market research company. So we were very niched. We did uh, market research in the oil and gas industry to help other companies figure out where their product or service fit. Mm -hmm. About six years ago, my marketing guy came to me and said, hey, we should start a podcast. And I looked him in the eye and said, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Nobody listens to those darn things. Go do something to make us some money. And he kept on, and he kept on, and he kept on. Now, have you ever told somebody yes, just so they'll shut up and go away? Yeah. Yes, I did it this morning. <laughs> yeah. So I told him <laughs> yes, so he would shut up and go away. And we start the first podcast, which I didn't know was the first oil and gas podcast in the world, which is hmm. oil and gas this week. Um, and about three months into it, Red Wing Boots calls me and they go, hey, we want to sponsor your podcast. And I almost said, why? But I stopped myself. The old sales guy kicked in and said, no, let them talk. Yeah. And that was our first sponsor. And you fast forward to now, we have the top eight oil and gas podcasts as of February 2020. I have two more launching this month and seven more launching this year. Um, all sponsored by big companies you've heard of. Uh, IBM, Baker Hughes, Red Wing, Anderson House, Draugr, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so the truth of the matter is, I got here a lot. I was just in the right place at the right time. That's uh, that's half a life, right? Position yourself. You make your own luck by working hard, and so that's a that's a great great story. So um, I kind of jumped into it real quick, but our topic today, I guess, is important too, right? So uh, we're going to talk about refining and the quote unquote uh, turnaround planning process, and kind of walking through the logistics of uh, of the supply chain of a turnaround. So um, doing some research on the oil and gas industry myself, and getting more familiar with it, the concept of turnaround popped up a few. Time. So, for our audience uh, here in Denver and the Colorado area, tell us exactly what is a turnaround. I've heard terms like tar and turnaround, and what does that really mean uh, in the oil and gas industry? 
So you gotta be careful. There's actually three things that people mix up. There's turnarounds, mm-hmm. shutdowns, and outages. <laughs> and they all mean something different in the downstream world. So uh, look, actually, let me back up. So yep. in the oil and gas industry, the industry is divided into four segments. Upstream, which is getting the hydrocarbons out of the ground. Midstream, which is moving it. Think of pipelines and rail and, and tankers. Mm-hmm. Downstream, which is turning those hydrocarbons into some type of product that you could sell. And refineries are in downstream. Right, so they take hydrocarbons and turn it into stuff you can sell. Most people think of that as fuel. A refinery turns uh, crude oil into gasoline, diesel, or jet food fuel, but it's way, way more than that. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, it's everything that makes modern life possible. I'm looking at you right now in your video. So your headphones, your jacket, your tie, your shirt, and your backdrop all made of hydrocarbons. Some refinery may turn those hydrocarbons into nylon, into adhesives, into plastics, right? And so refineries are a major uh, moneymaker for the industry, not just here in the U.S., but but globally. Mm-hmm. It's what makes modern lifestyle possible. Your iPhone wouldn't exist without products from a refinery. Well, these Refineries are massive, and they're designed to run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So basically, and please no hate mail. I know it's more complicated than this, but <laughs> basically, on one end of this large complex, you have crude oil and natural gas coming in, and on the other end, you have plastics, adhesive, lipstick, fuel, whatever coming out the other end. And that whole complex is designed to run all the time. But you need to do maintenance. So a turnaround is when you have planned maintenance and they're typically scheduled two to five years ahead of time Hmm. and they schedule them when they can afford to take that loss because the turnaround is going on, not producing product. And so they're losing money every minute of every day. Hmm. So you you mentioned the uh, plan to lose money. Like how would I just, how would I decide that we're going to do our turnaround in spring of 2022? And that's going to be a good idea because that's two years out. I mean, how, how do they know when to plan it? So they, they know what they produce and each refinery, the output is a little bit different for a variety of reasons, but they know what they produce and they know when the, the market um, margins are the highest in the year. Perfect example is uh, things that you use to heat your house mm-hmm. in the North part of the United States command premium dollars in the winter, right? But you don't need to heat your house in May in Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. So that the prices drop. Same way with things like uh, car tires or ethylene to make plastic uh, water bottles, whatever. There's a, there's you can predict the seasonality of the margins, and so what each one of the refinery tries to do is predict that ahead of time. So when the margins are the least amount, that's when they shut their refinery down and do a turnaround. Got it. That makes total sense. You're not cutting Christmas trees in the middle of the summer, right? That's right. <laughs> You're planning for it. So, uh, so that's good. So this, I think the answer to this question is it depends, but how long does it take, right? So, all right, we're going to push the button and we're going to do our scheduled maintenance on April 1st, 2022. Is that a one week process, a month, two months? I mean, talk a little bit about the, the timing of how long this takes. So the goal of every turnaround in the world is to get that unit back online as quick as possible. And because refineries are so big and so complex, they really don't pull the whole refinery down. They pull pieces of it down. Mm -hmm. So in a big refinery, like I'm here in Houston, Texas, and there's the Shell Deer Park refinery, which is an enormous refinery. um, They may have seven or eight turnarounds going on every year, but it's different units that were planned out two or three years ahead of time. And the goal is to get that unit back online as quick as possible because the cost is not the cost of the turnaround. The cost is the loss of the product that that unit's not producing, right? So for most refineries, you may have two or three turnarounds going on all the time. 
mm-hmm. but it's just different units that were planned out in different time stages. Gotcha. And the, f- the frequency of that, right? I guess uh, if the refinery in your example, there's seven or eight going on at one time, is it just nonstop that they just will say, we're going to go from left to right and there's eight sections and when we get done with section eight, we go back to section one and... More or less, there's parts of the refineries that take more wear and tear, and so they, the parts have to be replaced more often. There's other parts of the refinery where it's not as dangerous, so they don't necessarily have to shut it down to replace parts and pieces. Mm-hmm. So we're talking right now about a turnaround. The other thing you should be real careful of is an outage. An outage is basically an unplanned downtime, sure. right? So something happened. Something broke, something caught on fire, something leaked, and we didn't plan for it. Those are even a shorter time frame to get it back up because it's not a planned outage. Right. right? You have shutdowns, which are in between a turnaround and an outage. So they knew it was going to happen, but it's not as big as a turnaround. It's just we're replacing this one pump or this one pipe or whatever. Right. Interesting. It's dependent on how you're pitching it to the executives above you, right? <laughs> well, it's it's very budget dependent, but it's mm-hmm. also dependent on the age of the refinery. It's really interesting in the U.S. So we have not built a new fuel refinery in the U.S. since 1977. That means a lot of these refineries they're 100 years old. Well, when you have steel that's 100 years old, at some point you got to replace it, right? Right. Now we have two new refineries being built. Uh, one in uh, North Dakota and one in Permian by the Meridian Group, and they're state-of-the-art modern refineries. And I fully expect their turnarounds to be almost non-existent because they're able to use a lot of current technology in the construction because it's brand new. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the the Chevron Pascagoula Mississippi refinery, I think, has been there for close to 100 years, and and stuff breaks, right? And you got to change it out, right? So th- there's it's each one is different, and that's. The same thing goes on for petrochemical plants, which if you don't know the difference, looks and acts just like a refinery. Mm-hmm. Uh, their initiatives look different because some of the outputs of the petrochemical plants are demanded 30 or 40% margin. And when you're making that much cash, your executives are on your butt to get that thing back up and running. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why we're here to talk about uptime, right? That's the key thing. So, um, let's talk a little bit. At, I like things in threes and stories. So, there's kind of like, what do we do on a logistics front to prepare, right? This isn't the, oh my God, something broke and we're in panic mode. We're uh, we're getting ready to plan for our, for our outage. Talk about some of the, the strategies on the supply chain that are involved with, okay, we're taking this thing down in six months and we need to move people here and this piece of equipment. And, and what, what, stuff goes on in the supply chain prior to um, a turnaround. So, if you ever see one in person, it looks like controlled chaos, Mm -hmm. but there's really a lot of science and rhythm and process that goes on. So, first thing, a refinery, when they're not doing a turnaround, has a very small staff. A large refinery, maybe you'll have 300 people on it, right? Mm -hmm. When a turnaround happens, that staff of 300 may jump to three or 4,000 people. And though that other group of people are all contractors. So from a logistics point of view, the first thing you have to worry about is getting the right people on the job site at the right time and getting them out safely. Mm-hmm. And it's a logistical nightmare. Yeah. Um, the, the other things that go on is all the parts and pieces that you need to change or swap out usually can't just show up and be warehouse because there's not enough room. So they have to have just in time delivery. So when they plan out their refinery schedule, and they almost every refinery in the world uses Oracle's Primavera tool for that, that may be 50,000 line items, right? Just like you build a house, you can't have the roofer show up unless it's framed. You can't frame to your poured concrete. The same way in a turnaround. So you have to get the right people and the right parts at the right time 
And then if something slips, like they have a day of bad rain, it moves everything. Yeah. So they have to readjust it and schedule. It's it's really amazing that humans can pull it off, especially with the accuracy that's done, especially here in the U.S. But yeah. logistics is the name of the game in a turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you brought up the, the people aspect of it. I, I truly had not thought about that because like you said, you, we need to maintain uptime and you can throw resources at it, but I had not thought about the human aspect going, you know, a hundredfold from what you had just said, you know, just for your example, 3000 people, how do you feed them? How do you make sure they have a bathroom to use? How do you get them yep. in and out safely? You know, security, I'm sure is a big deal. I had not even thought about that type of thing. That's it's a huge logistical nightmare. And what happens is you have to know where every one of those contractors are every minute. Cause if something bad happens, you have to have account for all the people that are on your site. If there's any missing, you have to have the right people trained to go get them out of the bad area. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's amazing. It's the military operations, definitely command and control type of, of thing. Yeah. I was just actually thinking it's like a military, uh, military event for sure. So we kind of talked about the people that the, uh, the equipment and things of that nature, you said it's just in time. So it's not like they build this. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. Do they build like a big warehouse and say, we're going to bring all this stuff in or how do they schedule, um, you know, the, the pipes and, and the tools needed to twist the pipe to make sure it's secure. How does the physical material work on the logistics? So what happens is when it gets close to actually, uh, pull the trigger turn around you will see the footprint of fire expand with to your point uh temporary warehousing um quarters crew quarters bathrooms first aid stations uh the right clothing i mean all that sort of stuff and all that's temporary but since they do it so often they usually very good at setting that up that tent city right mm-hmm. and then some stuff they can warehouse but you're not gonna warehouse you know a hundred pieces of a 24 inch uh, steel pipe you just you physically don't have the land so it has to be just in time delivery so it's 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 a orchestra of the the turnaround portfolio manager who may have 20 turnaround project managers on each project manager may have 20 parts of that turnaround they're managing and and they every day actually not every day but usually two or three times a day all this data is reported back in Mm -hmm. to the the schedulers in primavera can move the schedule around you know bob calls in at six in the morning crew showed up with one less man. So instead of this part of the job taking two hours, it's taking four. Well, that moves everything else out. And that has to be reported back quickly or a load of steels could show up that nobody knows what to do with. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. So do you find that the, the, I always refer to them as service providers, right? Like the freight forwarders and the trucking companies, um, are, are they pretty engaged with, with, with the communication? Um, or are they like, Hey, the guy will be there sometime this afternoon or, you know, talk about the, uh, the service providers relationship with those project managers. Yeah. So the service providers that understand this and that are in tune and stay in communications, keep working for oil and gas companies. Mm-hmm. The service providers that go, you know what, it'll show up when it shows up, they never work again. Because yeah. it's just, it's too big a deal, not just in cost and lost revenue, but in, in safety. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to know where everybody is. If something bad happens, you have to uh, get everybody out and you have to do it as efficiently as possible. And you just can't take a chance on a low cost logistical vendor who doesn't understand how important that stuff is. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You don't want to say, well, this guy can move this pipe in here for $400 less than the other guy. And you just don't have the communication or, or the... Uh, or, he shows up a day late. And yeah. so then he pushes everything back, which may cost him a million dollars every half hour in loss of revenue for did, 400 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. What did you say? Billion? 
million. Oh, okay. I was like, oh my God. So uh, that's pretty crazy. So there's some of the prep and then kind of the heat of the battle, right? We talked about what's going on during the turnaround. I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, but um, if a turnaround's taking, uh, let's just say a month, right? For for uh, easy um, easy math, is it 24 hours a day? And there's one person in command that's dictating. I mean, is there like a control tower, so to speak, where everybody reports into? Like, paint us a picture of what it's like in the moment. There's multiple control towers. Although they're not really towers, but there's multiple um, single points of contact for each piece of that refinery job that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still, to this day, stay in touch via radio because radio is rocks communication. So even though they have cell phones, a cell phones is usually not intrinsically safe. So they don't allow intrinsically safe radios. So if you ever see your turnaround, the guys with the radios are the guys that are running that little piece of the job. Okay. But it's it's other things besides that. So in the actual crews, so you may have a contractor on site that's doing welding, well, then you need a third party to do something that's called Firewatch. So you, you need a third party to watch the welders that aren't helping with the work to make sure they're doing everything like they should be so they don't accidentally start a fire in a refinery. So then you got to coordinate the Firewatch with the welding team, right? So And, and that's one instance of probably six or 700 different layers of control and management that's going on all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and I'm assuming it's 24 hours a day. They never once they start, they're rocking and yeah, rolling. Yeah, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A, a long turnaround may go for a year. So instead of a month, imagine all this chaos going on for a year. That's that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, if you stop and think about it, it it, it makes sense. You know, you want the uptime. You don't want that that uh, that facility uh, to be down at all. So we talked a little bit about. Um, the before and the during. So we're all done. We punch the clock. We're, you know, it's five o'clock and we're, we're, we're heading out because the job is done. We got high fives and people are cracking beers and enjoying it. Talk us, talk to us about the logistics after the fact, because I know there's stuff that goes on to make sure what was done was done correctly. Talk a little bit about those type of uh, uh, tasks. So what, the refineries, especially on critical path, use independent third parties to verify that things are done right, such as welding, pipe fitting, machining, right? They, they need to make sure it's done right before they turn that unit on. But once all of those third parties have reported back and everybody's given the green light and they flip the switch and they bring that unit back online, there's some time that they test themselves. So they have the contractors that do the work. They have the independent third party that verify the contractor's work, and then they do their own testing. That takes a little bit of time. Once all that's done, it's then it's about how quickly can get everything back to business as normal. Mm-hmm. Once again, it's logistics nightmare. You got 700 porta potties. You got you know 37 tents. You got 16 miles of temporary fence. You got all this stuff. You got the pipe that you didn't use, right? You got the coker. What's left of the coker? You got to get rid of environmentally responsibly. So all that has to be done as quickly as possible. So they go back to doing business as usual. To your point, to make sure they minimize downtime. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's pretty amazing. And so is the. Who officially checks the box and says this is completed? The uh, goal was a uh, uh, we achieved the goal and this is now safe. Is that the third party auditor that would do that? Is it a collaborative it's team? The company, it's the company man. It's the turnaround manager. Okay. So in, and in a large refinery, you may have multiple turnaround managers that are responsible for different physical parts of the plant. Got it. Got it. That, that makes sense. What are some new technologies that are out there that are used during the turnaround process uh, that has uh, uh, impacted and improved the uh, the process? So some of it's like really simple. So uh, RFID tags. So when these massive contractors come on site, their badges now have RFID tag tags, and the refinery has sensors. So now all of a sudden, instead of every person being accounted for in a 
map with their name written down and with a list on a clipboard, mm -hmm. the system, the computer system knows where everybody is, right? And it even knows if somebody falls down and doesn't get up, right? Um, and so it can alert people that this guy's down that maybe nobody would even see to go check on him. So I think that's a really cool one. And then the ability for the vendor's um, supply chain systems to talk to the oil and gas turnaround mm -hmm. supply chain system is mm -hmm. really sped up just in time delivery. So literally when they built the turnaround schedule in Primavera and you have uh, all the critical paths, you have where certain parts and pieces need to be delivered. That is now communicated by software to the people that have those parts and pieces. So they know, Oh, it started off. We need to deliver this on Wednesday, the eighth. Now, two weeks later, it needs to be delivered on Wednesday, the ninth. And so there's no people involved. There's no error. So it's gotten much more efficient from a supply chain point of view, the software. And then you're able to do big data analytics around this. So when they're finished their turnaround, they can take all this data and they can look at it and they go, you know what? We could have sped this thing up if we would have started in April and not May, right? Because we got a lot of rain in May, and next year the weather's predicted to rain about the same amount. And no human could have figured that out. Right. By doing big data analytics, the software can figure out. So it's actually really cool. Yeah. You know, the uh, like you said, the big data analytics uh, is hitting all aspects of the supply chain. We've had a couple of folks on uh, to talk about truck management, asset management, capacity constraints. And uh, in in the shows I've been doing, big data analytics is, is king. You know, you can have a bigger truck and a bigger plane and a faster this and a safer that. But if you can analyze data, you can make the right decision. So, obviously, that's, yeah. that's, that's paramount here as well. So, is there any... Um, we talked about disruptive technology or anything else that, that, that's come out. You talked about a couple of cool things that are doing for safety and for efficiency. Any disruptive technologies that are happening? So, watch this. This is an HMT-1. Okay. It is a wearable. Okay. It is fully wireless. It's Android-based. It's intrinsically safe. Cast one div. So, you can bring this in an explosive environment, right? This now allows some old guy like me that maybe has done 20 years of turnarounds to supervise a new field tech from my house. So now the old guy's experience can be transferred to the new field tech that doesn't have 25 years. And you can lay over augmented reality. So when the new field tech's out there and he's wearing this, it might put a big red X over a valve. Say, don't touch that valve, right? Or let's say he's changing a motor. It may pop up, okay, step one, cut the power off here. Step two, loosen the mud bolts. Step three, they talk him through it. So wow. this device, this intrinsically safe wearable device, is a disruptive technology in turnarounds. It's incredible. It's just luck that you asked me about that. So yeah. I actually sit on the board of this company called Realware, um, and I just happen to have a unit here. So your luck that you asked me the question while I had the hardware in my hand. That's crazy. And that is happening right now? Like people are using that? That's, or That's, that's being used right now. Yeah. That's that's amazing, and um, like in the last couple of years, that started. I mean, it seems like that's just incredibly cutting last edge. Two years, mm -hmm. yeah. And the secret wasn't the wearable device. I mean, we've had Google Glasses and, and everything else for a mm -hmm. while, but the secret is the intrinsically safe part, so you don't blow anything up. You can take that in an explosive environment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's great. So that's kind of a good segue to to the next topic. I mean, it just in two years, you know, we went from wearables and and X is popping up in front of you, so you know to do this and don't do that. What do you think things are going to be like five, ten years out? Whenever this happens, you know, I I joked earlier that they're going to be a three D printer right next to the job site where they're just making parts as they need them. Uh, what what are some things that you see trending uh, to improve efficiencies five, ten years out in the same type of activity? 
So your joke about 3D printer was funny, but it's real. It's legit. Now they're 3D printing metal, and now they have the ability to 3D print different metals in the same part. So as the hmm. prices come down in 3D printing, you will see more of that going on in turnarounds. The other thing is the old refiners we talked about, and, and please, once again, if you're a refinery manager, you know I'm telling the truth. They <laughs> don't really know where everything is because it's been years and years of construction. So even if you got a set of as-builts, you don't really know 100% sure where everything is, right? There may be pipes on the ground you don't know. There may be stuff that's marked here that goes eight inches to the right, but it really goes three inches to the right. Mm -hmm. But the new refiners and petrochemical plants they're building are streamlined. And what you're going to see is you can see more and more robotics and automation come into these new refineries because they know where everything is. And they've been built with the thought that maybe somewhere down the road, the robot's clean tank, not a person. Yeah. It makes it safer for people. And it also eliminates a job that quite frankly, nobody wants to do that tank guy that used to tink, clean the tank. Now he can go train the machines that are cleaning it for him. So not only does he keep a job, he actually goes up a skill level, makes right. more money and he's training machines to do something that is inherently dangerous to him and his peers. Beautiful thing. Yeah. Wow. That's uh that is amazing. And, and I truly believe that's probably five, five years out. Is there any type of robotics that's involved now? Um, I think the AI is, is amazing, but if I'm on the job and I'm doing some cleaning or switching a valve or doing something, would I potentially see a robot driving by or somebody delivering materials to somebody that's further into the plant? Not yet. Um, there is some robotics going on in the plant, uh, tanks that are full and there's now robot fish. I know I'm paraphrasing that, that actually they can put in the tank that can measure things like corrosion. Um, and that keeps them from having to do scheduled maintenance mm -hmm. instead they do it when they need it. So they can measure the corrosion And the old way was, okay, every year we're going to drain that tank and we're gonna sandblast and paint the inside. Now they go, well, we don't need to sandblast and paint it till the corrosion gets to a certain level. So you're seeing that happen already. The same way within the pipelines, they run what's called a pig. Now those pigs have a bunch of sensors that also can look for integrity issues, corrosion issues, harmonics. Um, but I'm telling you, in the next five years, you will see that robot come go through the plant, start welding on something. Wow. <laughs> That's absolutely crazy. Um, let's talk uh, a couple, some advice here as we finish up. Uh, two pieces of advice. Advice number one, I'm a logistics company and I want to get into the oil and gas uh, turnaround business and I want to be the guy that's moving the truck and making sure this part is here. What advice would you give to those service providers uh, to ensure it's a, a great partnership? So, first thing, you get one chance to do this right. And so, if you went and work for the actual owner of the refinery and you messed up, you're gone because we can't we can't have somebody that makes mistakes. Because in my industry, when you make a mistake, people die. Mm -hmm. So, the smart thing to do if you're trying to enter is instead of trying to go straight to BP or Exxon or Valero, find the subcontractor that's already doing the turnarounds and go work for them as a sub. This way, you're going to learn the business, you're going to be introduced to the ultimate client, but you're also going to learn all the stuff that's not written down anywhere, right? Right. And once you get that under your belt, then you can go out and work directly for the client. So, I suggest that anybody that, especially from a logistics point of view, um, that wants to get into turnarounds, go work for a, a top-level contractor. You be a sub to them until you learn it, then you'll be safe. Gotcha. That that's good advice because people intrinsically people say the way I'm going to get in here is save money. I'm going to do it differently. But like you said, literally, 
lives are at stake. And if you do a shortcut here or a shortcut there, I mean, that could be, uh, you know, catastrophic. So, so that's really good advice. So work with a professional. I know cap logistics is heavily involved with this industry and, and certainly have been, been, been so for quite a long time. So, um, that's great advice on the on the service provider side. So let's flip over. I'm now own a uh, a refinery and and I'm getting ready to do a, a a turnaround. What advice would you give to to those group? Here's two things that you absolutely need to do. Or oh my God, do not do this because it's going to be catastrophic. What advice would you give to that side? See, that's a little bit hard one. So the first thing I would suggest to the people that run turnarounds is get out of your little box. Most of the guys that run turnarounds have their existing list of contractors. They have four, five, six, eight, ten 10 contractors. Their company's been working with for 25 years. Mm-hmm. Great, right? But there's newer companies out there that have newer ways of doing things, uh, newer ways of thinking about things, newer ways of finding talent, right, than the older companies. So don't be scared to bring somebody new in the mix. Just once again, if you're a refinery manager, a turnaround manager, have that new vendor work with one of your existing vendors for a little bit, which is naturally what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, don't be afraid of listening to your people. If you're a turnaround manager and the guy that is you know, responsible for keeping something clean and painted lube says, hey, maybe we should change this. Well, that guy's on the front lines. And even though you've been doing it for 25 years and he's only 30 years old or 25 years old, listen to him. Because I guarantee you some of the best ideas come from the guys that are in the field t- that are hands on. Right. That's good advice, too. Um, yeah, you know, the thing, learning a little bit about this industry, you've been phenomenal in kind of what I refer to as just dumbing it down, right? You have a very great way of explaining things in, in, a, in, a, in a very simplistic way. So I really appreciate you explaining it because I've learned quite a bit on, on this show. But uh, as, uh, as we'd mentioned, we've been talking about the refinery and the turnaround process uh, from the logistical side of it. And Mark LaCleur has been our guest. And Mark, I can't thank you enough for coming on board, um, sharing your insight here. It's been a great learning experience. So, again, thank you for joining Uptime Logistics. Oh, this has been a blast. I'd love to do this again, but it was just as fun. Yes, absolutely. And I'd like to thank our audience for joining us today on Uptime Logistics, powered by Cap Logistics. You can find more information about the show in the description below. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel. And please visit caplogistics.com for your customized transportation solutions. Thanks, everybody. 